before we get into the subject of the show, I want to reprise something that occurred last night. I had Jonathan Womack discussing reincarnation. and John has been a friend of the show and a guest host of the show and has done yeoman service in many different ways. And I want to apologize to John and to the audience because in some cases, I guess I treated him pretty badly, and um, I, I am sorry. I apologize. We, I probably should have waved off doing the show from the get-go because touching on reincarnation, given what's just happened in my life, is, uh, was probably not a good idea. And I thought I could handle it, and it was obvious that I couldn't. So I apologize, and John, I hope our friendship has not been damaged because you have done so much to keep this show on the air and to provide interesting guests and your hosting activities to say nothing of the videos and the posters. Anyway, um, John, I'm sorry, and um, I hope you'll make my apology. And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, around this rotating globe. You know, this is going to be a really wild evening or morning, depending upon where you are, because we're mixing two things that, off the top of my head, I would not think would have mixed. We're mixing reincarnation. In fact, it's even more interesting. It's nonlinear reincarnation. I've got to ask John what the heck the nonlinear part is. And we're mixing space flight, space travel. Did anybody out there tonight see Elon Musk's remarkable, amazing, uh, fantabulous briefing from the desert, from the Gulf Coast with the ocean surf in the background, standing in the shadow of his hundreds of foot tall stainless steel starship? pinioned in those Klieg lights. I mean, it was surreal. And they had a big screen set up on the right-hand side. And uh, he went through almost a two-hour briefing with Q&A, which was an extraordinary backdrop for some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight. Reincarnation and spaceflight. How do they mix? Okay, kind of hold that thought while I go through a couple of news items here. If you go to the other side of midnight.com, remember that's our homepage, the other side of midnight.com. Click on tonight's banner for for John, Jonathan Womack, uh, which says nonlinear reincarnation or Saturday, September 28th. And then you scroll down or you can actually just uh, hit uh, right under it. Uh, there are past links under that banner, which is duplicated on the guest page. Click on Richard. That takes you to my items in radio with pictures for tonight. Item number one is a, an update on the Vikram landing. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, the um, Indian government 
sent a spacecraft to Mars, Mars, to the moon's orbit, Chandrayaan-2, which in Sanskrit means moon vehicle or moon explorer. And they attempted to detach a lander, a small sub-spacecraft with rockets and landing legs and all that, and descend to the near the south pole of the moon on the near side. If you had a really, really, really big telescope, you could have seen it arcing down in its polar orbit to land at a crater uh, somewhere almost near the bottom of the moon. You're looking at a full moon. And a couple minutes before the landing, it went poof. It disappeared. It went radio silent. The computer plots on the screens in the Indian uh, control room, the Indian uh, Space Mission Control Room there in India, uh, which were kind of showing the attitude of the lander based on inputs from the onboard inertial measurement systems, what they call the IMU, the inertial measurement unit, were showing the attitude of the spacecraft, you know, with the rocket pointing forward, thrusting, slowing it down so it would arc into a gentle eventual landing on the lunar surface. Well, couple, three minutes before the intended touchdown, that computer plot, that display, which was synchronized with the uh, signals coming from the lander orbiting, of course, the moon, descending to the surface, suddenly went, as my grandmother would have said, uh, cattywampus. The spacecraft on the screen turned upside down, and the linear plot of the trajectory going from orbit down to the surface, began to deviate from the red line, which indicated its normal on-course, on-flight plan trajectory. And then it came back. The spacecraft on the screen appeared to right itself briefly, and the plot continued, and it was back on the line where it should have been. And then something else happened, and it turned upside down for a second time, and then the plot deviated wildly from the um, uh, course projection. And then the Indians lost all contact. And they searched and searched and beamed radio signals and sent out calls, you know, electronic calls to the onboard computer to answer, please, please answer. And it never did before sunset on the moon, local, local time. And the spacecraft was not designed to survive the incredibly ultra-cold, frigid lunar night where temperatures get down to about 250 Fahrenheit below zero. And, of course, there uh, there is waning, if not non-existent, hope now. Now, where things get really weird is this all happened on the 7th of September. On the 17th, 10 days later, NASA's ongoing robotic spacecraft the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is in orbit around the moon, has been since, I think, 2009, was scheduled to fly over the uh, Vikram landing site. And it took a bunch of very high-resolution pictures. And then weird things began to happen in the press. Aviation Week published a, a story even before NASA, according to NASA's own press release, which it had to publish post-Aviation Week story. 
because the Aviation Week story said uh, NASA can't find any hint of Vikram lander on LRO images taken of landing site. Which, of course, if it was true, would have been really, really, really weird. So NASA comes up with a press release and says, for some reason, Aviation Week got it wrong because we just got the images back. We haven't even had a chance to look. So they haven't not found it because they haven't found it. They haven't not found it because they haven't had a chance to look yet. So that was on the 17th. That was, uh, what, tonight's the 28th. That was, um, you know, 10 days ago. Um, 10, 11 days ago. We still don't know if they found it. We haven't heard any, you know, Eurekas from NASA, from the LRO people. Uh, so they're still looking. Now, one problem is the lighting was not optimum. If you look at my uh, first item there, you'll see that the lighting is very, um, from the side, long shadows. If you click on the story, you'll actually see a magnified image strip of the lighting when they took the pictures. And so the lander could be there, but hiding in the long shadows. So they've got another opportunity coming up uh, in about a month, October, I think, 14th. The orbit of the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter spacecraft will pass over the Vikram landing site again at much higher sun angle. So they're going to take more pictures at that time, and they'll look on those images and they may eventually – I mean, they found – the LRO people have found all kinds of dead and abandoned spacecraft from the impact points of the uh, lunar Apollo S-4B stages when they were slammed into the moon deliberately to create moonquakes so the seismometers that had been in place by earlier Apollo missions could pick up interior vibrations to the landing sites of surveyors – and the, even some of the Russian missions, which had been lost in terms of knowing exactly where they were, those early Lunacod rovers, um, they, they found them. So if that thing is sitting – now, the Indians reported very quickly <clears throat> after landing – or the, the aborted landing in the first couple of days that their cameras on the Chandrayaan-2 spacecraft, the one that's still in orbit, the one that's functioning – perfectly um, the so-called mothership for the Vikram lander. They have reported that, A, they found it on their imagery and that it was sitting on the surface kind of intact but tilted. And this came from a high-level ISRO. That's the acronym for the Indian Space Agency. Uh, the ISRO official uh, anonymously reported just a day or two after the attempted landing, I think on the 8th or the 9th. The only problem is, if the Indians have good enough imagery, and they have a damn good camera on the Chandrayaan lander, it can literally see down to one pixel equaling one foot, which means if you got a spacecraft which is you know, a meter or two wide, and you're seeing one foot, that means you got 20 or 30 pixels across. So, yeah, with that camera, they would be able to see if their lander is sitting on the surface and B, if it is in fact tilted because it had a, quote, hard landing. But they have published no pictures. So we've got NASA quoting the Indian Space Agency saying a hard landing and even quoting the official 
saying that it was on the surface tilted, but no images of anything from anybody of the actual lander sitting on the moon. And that's very peculiar. I don't know why someone's calling. They should not be calling on air when we're on the air. But anyway, so tonight we have a big mystery. What has been going on with the Indian government and with the Indian lander? And um, um, anyway, um, that's the status of the Chandrayaan-2 mission as of tonight. If we get further updates, obviously, by tomorrow, we'll update you on those. And if we get further updates on uh, the NASA efforts to see on LRO imagery where this little spacecraft is, we will update you on that as well. So moving on to item number two in my radio with pictures. This is really kind of a prototypical approach to tonight's program with John. Again, mixing, I don't know how he's going to do it. We're going to find out. Reincarnation and space flight, space travel. I mean, I've got some ideas now that I've had a chance to think about it. And uh, I'll just kind of uh, uh, play it by ear and let John take the lead on this. Anyway, item number two. This week, SpaceX finished assembly of their new spacecraft, the Starship, this incredible several hundred foot high vehicle capable ultimately when it's in in full form, the Mark V, whatever, of carrying a hundred human beings into Earth orbit or to Mars and returning them safely to the Earth, provided they can refuel the spaceship in Earth orbit, which they're planning to do. So if you look at item number two and click on it, there's a stunning image of the Starship, which is going to be on top of the big, you know, uh, rocket, the the huge, they call it the big Falcon, you know, rocket, the, 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 the successor to the Falcon 9s and all that, which is going to have anywhere from, I heard this evening during the briefing that Musk gave live out there by the ocean on the Gulf of Mexico, he gave the briefing that they would have anywhere from 24 to 37 engines to lift this extraordinary space vehicle, a real spaceship, into space. I mean, that's going to be one heck of a television show. So if you look at item number three, uh, right below two, that is a gorgeous image taken at, I think, sunset showing the constructed Starship, the prototype Mark I, sitting there uh, beside the Gulf of Mexico. And then if you look at, um, at item number four, that's a composite I made up, which is um, very appropriate because this is a kind of a side-by-side comparison of Elon Musk's Starship with Chesley Bonstell's vision for a film called Destination Moon of uh, a human rocket, an atomic-powered rocket, which took the first corporate entities, not NASA, not government, this was a private enterprise mission to the moon that became a film, very famous film back in the 1950s, uh, written by Robert Heinlein and illustrated by my old friend Chesley Bonstell. And it just seemed, I mean, we're, 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 we're rapidly recapturing the extraordinary adventurism and the 
um, frontier spirit of the 1950s portrayal of what spaceflight ultimately would become. It's like we've gotten ourselves into a time loop and we're reimagining the 1950s with 21st century technology. And oh, by the way, that incredible, gorgeous spaceship sitting there in the Texas desert tonight by the Gulf of Mexico is made of stainless steel. I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's kind of stop there because I think it's going to be very appropriate if we, if we kind of take a halt there and uh, before I introduce my guest tonight. So without further ado, let me take you back to the 1950s and in fact, the themes from Destination Moon. Jonathan Womack began to leave his body in the fall of 1965 at the age of six. A year later, after watching an episode of The New Adventures of Superman, Jonathan assumed a ghostly version of the Man of Steel for his astral excursions, a practice that continues to this day. Jonathan receives alarm signals from people on the physical plane as well as the spirit realms and has learned how to move heavy objects, travel into the past, and visit the home of souls. Jonathan became involved in the martial arts in his teens and spent 10 years training in the Korean styles. He began his writing career in 1999 with his debut novel, A Cry for a Hero, a science factional story involving out-of-body experiences by a superhero named Ram, and Jonathan has launched a publishing company based around his writing career called the Charles River Press in 2003 as a way of publishing his books as well as the stories of other talented writers. John is also a licensed electronic technician, a retired IT media tech, having spent 33 years providing tech services to corporations and higher education institutions in the Boston and Cambridge, Massachusetts areas, including the prestigious Harvard. And today, Jonathan is the executive producer at Mindworld Entertainment, having launched a new television series called The OBE Show, Metaphysics, and More on Amazon Prime. So without further ado, Jonathan, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Well, as my grandmother used to say, it's great being had. Um, b- before we get into tonight's discussion, I, I forgot one thing. I wanted to thank you uh, in the spring when Robin died and it was impossible for me to do the show. Uh, you stepped in and did extraordinary yeoman service sitting in the captain's chair and navigating people through the night through some extraordinary adventures. And I want to express how much I appreciated that and uh, – uh, it, it, it's something that few people can do, 
and you carried it off with aplomb. Well, thank you. I want to go back in time to this six-year-old kid in 1965, one year before Star Trek would blossom onto television. What happened that made you realize that you could leave your six-year-old body, and what was that? What was that like? Well, in September of 65, I was in kindergarten, and each day the teacher would have us get our mats out and lie them out, and we'd lie on our backs for nap time. And that was when I first experienced the vibrations. And I didn't know what they were at the time, but it was just very curious. And so a month later in October, October 6th, my family and I are gathered around the TV, black and white TV to watch uh, episode four of Lost in Space, uh, which was a new show at the time. And about midway through the show, they they come upon uh, this giant cyclops. He's 50 feet tall. And, uh, you know, it's obviously a guy in a costume, as you know. But to a six-year-old back then, it was terrifying i was i was terrified that something like this could exist in our universe hmm. and so that night i go to bed i was i was troubled i was very uneasy from the show i was very worried you know i wondered if this monster was going to come <clears throat> you know come get us or something <laughs> um so why well hang on what didn't your parents pick up on the fact that this had terrified you no, I must not have been that outwardly terrified, um, but it, it definitely scared me. I was very scared. And so I go to bed, and I'm lying awake. I can't fall asleep. And my brothers, I have three brothers in the room who are asleep. And then I hear these footsteps, what I thought were footsteps, coming down the street. And I imagine it to be this cyclops. He's realized that I'm awake and little boy should be asleep. And therefore, I'm in big trouble. I'm in his domain. And he's oh, coming my. to get me. Oh, yeah. It oh, was, my God. <laughs> it was pretty terrifying. <laughs> and, you know, it just the, the tension built because, you know, he's coming up the driveway. What am I going to do? He, he's coming down the hall now. It's getting real. He's coming in the room, and I just thought of and you, my dad. You, you didn't call out. You didn't say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, hey, there's somebody here. No. <laughs> I was lying there quietly, just freaking out internally. Outwardly, I'm just lying there on my bed, but inside I'm going, oh, my God. Now, were, I'm you, going were to... you an only child? No, I have uh, four, well, five brothers and one sister, and uh, three of my brothers are in the room. We had... A stack of three bunk beds and then a single bed. So I'm on the bottom bunk. And you didn't try to wake them or say, hey, there's something going on? Nothing? Well, it really wasn't time. That that wasn't actually an option. Uh, this happened fairly quickly. You know, oh, my gosh, here it's coming now. And so um, in my mind, I, I imagine this creature coming in my room it shrunk down now from 50 feet so that it can fit in the house but now it's in the bedroom and my dad had said you know we'd been watching a show gentle banner i don't know but it was like the bear coming after you just play dead and i thought you know i can't play dead i have to 
be dead because if this thing believes that I'm awake, you know, the only way I can save myself is to convince this creature that I'm dead and I have to be dead. So that's been my mantra for 54 years is be dead, be dead. I slowed my heart rate. I stopped breathing. This creature's been down now. He's leaning in over me on the bed and I, I could just <clears throat> imagine it breathing. I'm moments away from being suffering a horrible end. And, and the thing believes I'm dead and it, gets up and it, it leaves and I, I'm like oh my god that was really close so no, wait, wait, wait. did you have your eyes open or closed my eyes are closed so you don't see it you're just sensing it you're hearing breathing I'm sensing it and in fact since then I you know I didn't even know what what this what scared me until last year when I sat down to write the script for my new show the OBE show for years and I give talks and stuff. I always said it was some Bigfoot creature because I had never gone back to discover what that was. And when it came time to write the script, I, I said, I, I got to go back now. So I, you know, I went and laid down. I go back to 1965, October So 6th. you have not revisited this awful night for 50-some years. That's correct, until last year. And I went back and... I'm back in my room. Uh, there's my brothers. They're asleep. And there's me on the bed. So now I'm like, okay, what, what scared me? And I go out, walk out of the room. I go down to the stairs. It's downstairs. I'm walking down the stairs. Whatever it is, I'm getting closer. It's down here in the basement. I get downstairs. I can see the TV is on and. Now my family's gathered around there, and I look over and I see the Cyclops, and I just went, you know, lost in space. I was, oh my God! I I remember now, and of course now I'm removed from that, and the terror did not affect me like it did 54 years ago when you were six. Yes, hmm. but I just I remembered. Oh my God! It's the Cyclops. I mean, it just came back in a second, you know. So. Um, yeah, the Cyclops leaves the room. I heave a sigh of relief. Um, I get out of bed. I turn around. I look down at my bed and I see somebody lying there. And like, who is lying? Oh my God, it's me. And it was panic, shock, fear. No, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm totally confused. Are you? Six or are you fifty some looking back at your six? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going. I'm six now. This is fifty-four years ago. <clears throat> My first conscious OBE. So when you're on the bed playing dead, 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 and you feel mm-hmm. this creature leave, yes, you think you're safe, so you get out of bed, you mm-hmm. turn around, and you haven't gotten out of bed. Only I'm part still of in the you. bed. Yes, only part of me. Um, the oh. part that was alive before I came, well, you know, the panic subsided because I remembered, I go, wait a minute, this is me before I, I mean, I came from the spirit world. This is me that came to earth and to live in this body that, you know, I'm back in my normal, this is my natural self. So I don't need to be scared. 
Hmm. I'm simply back in my natural state. And and you had all this insight in a flash at six in September of 1965 that night, standing there looking down at your body lying in bed. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's one yeah. heck of an introduction to this <laughs> evening. Got to hand it to you, John. You got the biggest opener I think I've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. So um, I was drawn. I felt drawn to the sky, Richard, like I belonged there. And next thing you know, I'm lifting up through the roof and I'm flying down the street over the treetops. Now, is this voluntarily or involuntarily? It's voluntary, but I just feel very drawn, and I'm just giving in to this feeling that that's where I belong, not down here on the ground. Now, psychologically, are you in this out-of-body experience six, or are you much older, thinking of yourself as escaping from a six-year-old temporal nexus for the time being? Well, at the time, I was six, and, you know, my spirit form uh, had the appearance of my six-year-old body because that's – you naturally assume, you know, what you looked like in, in your most recent life. That's what you tend to look like when you're out of body. <clears throat> you say naturally. Um, Nothing about this is natural, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're in a human body for 60 years and then you, you cross over – um, you're going to look like yourself. Your soul is going to look like you looked, you know, when you were alive because uh, you're just used to it. And that's, it's a natural thing. You're just used to it. So, okay. but you find on the other side, most spirits and stuff are just like whirls and wisp and things like that. So, um, yeah, so I'm flying over my town and I said, tell you what, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Jonathan Womack, who at the age of six had a striking, stunning, shall we say, maybe fear-induced out-of-body experience. The first, as you're going to hear, of many, many, many other experiences. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. 
The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. We've got Jonathan Womack as our guest tonight. And he left us kind of literally hanging. He's out of body. He's six years old. And he's flying down the street. What happened next? Well, one thing, I I stopped about 50, 60 feet above the street. Um, I'm in Warsaw, Indiana. That's where I grew up. Where's that? And I'm... That's in northern Indiana, near um, South Bend, oh. uh, Notre Dame country. Yeah, Mr. About Buttigieg is in his presidential campaign. He's mayor of South Bend. Yeah, and we'd go up to um, Chicago for sporting events and concerts and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, hovering above the street there, Buffalo and Market, and I'm looking down because I can see – I don't know if you want to call it the God particle or the ether, but there is a sparkle. Sorry about that. Go ahead. There's a sparkle. Now, again, I want to stop for a moment. Are you in the persona of a six-year-old child? Yes. So so there's there's a seamless transition. You're a six-year-old out on a lark, out of your body – in a in a September night, in sixty five. Right. Okay, six year old. I'm looking down, and there's this sparkle in the buildings, the street, the air. It's everywhere, and it's this astonishingly beautiful sparkle, like the atoms that are holding everything together. It's like this energy spark. The the creator, I mean, whoever made this, all this physical matter has somehow slowed down energy. Well, that's the trick on the other side is frequency. You know, you slow things down, it becomes matter. You speed them up, they become energy. So I'm looking at this beautiful sparkle of creation, and it's just the signature of the creator in everything, and it's so beautiful. And I've run into a few other people that have also seen this, and... It's pretty remarkable. Is this kind of like if you're walking out? And I used to love to walk in snow snowstorms and under streetlights, and you'd have this snow on the ground, and it's mm-hmm. driving through the through at the air. And as you moved relative to the streetlight, the snow would sparkle mm-hmm. absolutely with like like with a billion little glistens and glints yes. underneath. As you moved, it would change rapidly with your movement. Was it like that? That's a good analogy. It's that mm. t- the sparkle is very tiny, and it's an even wash through everything, all of creation. You know, they have some granite sidewalks in New York in front of very expensive buildings, like, I guess, Trump Tower. And they're full of little tiny quartz inclusions, which, of course, is part of granite. And as you move, you get that same shimmering, changing, angular sparkle even by moving just an inch or two, it changes totally. It's it's magical. It's it's it looks mm. like the like the like the sidewalk is is totally alive, but it's all mm. refracted light and sparkles on the quartz. Interesting. Well, that was my first OBE. I I knew instinctively that. Well, 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 you can't leave us there. What happened next? <laughs> 
Well, I flew around town. I'm exploring. And um, I knew that if I got into trouble, all I had to do was picture myself lying in bed and express the desire to return. And like that, I would zip back home. Okay. Personality-wise, psychologically, evolution, you're six years old. Mm -hmm. How did you know that? Because I'm an older soul. I've lived many lives. This is just Yeah, but you don't them. know that as you're this six-year-old kid flying around out of body in the middle of the night. Well, the thing is, even if you, you know, the spiritual amnesia prevents people from remembering past lives, but you do keep all of your learning from your past lives are still a part of you. So, so could we call that instinct? Yes, Absolutely. Okay. So you knew doing this after having been terrified just a few minutes before, you felt adventurous and safe and you're soaring around town. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I assume you somehow were not blown away by, oh, my God, I can do this. Or were you? Well, I was kind of blown away by the flying is magnificent, and it's the feeling is just uh, – it's hard to describe. It's the most incredible feeling to be – to fly like Superman. Hmm. So I'm uh, joyous and ecstasy, and then I get a, a tug, and it's – I understand it to be my physical body calling me back saying, okay, time's up. Come back. So – you know, I answer the tug, I zip home. Now, wait, wait, you zip home or you teleport? Well, it's very fast because you travel at the speed of thought. Um, compared, you know, the speed of light is like a broken down Model T Ford when mm. you're on the other side okay. and you're pure energy. Oh, yeah, you can, if you want to go to Canada, you can zip up to Canada. If you want to go to the Vega star system, you zip over there, too. So you keep using the word zip. That implies duration. Is yes. it more like beaming? One minute you're here and the next instant you're there, that kind of thing? Uh, there is time because you're zipping through the ether. You get that tunnel effect. You're, you're and you're there. Are there audio aspects to this? No. I'm just, I'm just I'm asking. Hey, look, effect. come on. I got to ask. Got to ask. <laughs> yeah. So you're this six-year-old persona. You've been liberated. You're flying around. Some part of you, not conscious, knows you're safe. You can get back home, i.e. your body, at any time you want. And then you feel it's kind of time to return to the body, right? That's right, or else I won't be able to get back in. So, you know, I, I answer the – But you don't know this consciously. This is just like it's all instinct. Yes. Now, my conscious mind is along for the ride because everyone goes out of body at night and we spend time with our parents learning and going over many, many things as we're living our lives. But your conscious mind is asleep. You're in bed and sleeping. So if you can take your conscious mind along with you, then you can take part in the experience and you recall it and you can you know, have some control over it or influence. And so, yeah, my conscious mind is taking part in the event. That's why I've remembered it. Yeah, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. So, yeah, I guess. Now, as uh, you're, as, let me interrupt. As you're flying around, are you aware that there are two of you? 
There's this free as a bird entity, mm-hmm. and there's the other part of you lying there on the bed. Did it occur to you, what happens while I'm doing this if mom and dad come in and see me there and think I'm dead? Well, I wasn't thinking about that, but it does bring up something else when I was had gotten out of my bed and saw myself lying on the bed. There was this strange sensation. I could feel, you know, I'm standing there next to the bed, wide awake. I'm a spirit, and I'm looking down at my body. I can feel myself in two places at the same time. I'm in the bed. I can sort of feel myself standing next to the bed looking, you know, I can sense my presence. I'm outside my body looking at myself on the bed. I can feel, you know, I'm in two places literally at the same time because part of me is still in my body keeping the heart beating twice a minute. Um, Yeah, see, you interface when you come to earth, you interface with the body. It's you select the brain body when you set up your next life and the brain body you know, it's a whole thing you you have to select, and it has an effect on your life and so forth. But well, uh, we'll get into how that all happens yeah. in a while. I'm just thinking you're this six-year-old kid who's never done this in this life before. You have this sudden freedom, but you somehow realize you have to get back to this body. That that intrigues me. That there's this like invisible instinct because if you stay out of body beyond a certain time limit, does your body die? That's crib death. The baby has just come from the soul world. It still remembers. And when you go out, it's, well, because a few years later, I actually, I don't get too far ahead of myself, but um, I'm flying high above the earth. It's ecstasy and incredible joyous feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. I get the tug. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going back there. Oh, you're so you're kind of like Ed White on the spacewalk when Mission Control says get back in, and he wouldn't. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of like that. I'm like, uh, I'll I'll go back in a minute. I'm I'm not going to end. This is too incredible. Minute later, I get another tug. I'm like, no, just a little while longer. I'm flying over the earth. And then, yo, go, whoa, 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 get back. Come on. Whoa. I'm like, okay. All right. Do you so, know objectively now that you're not six, but 50 some? Mm-hmm. Objectively, how long a, a spirit, you know, a disembodied entity, an energy form, whatever, can stay apart from the body before the body suffers irrevocable harm and you can't get back because you die? Uh, yes. Um, that's an interesting question because time is different on the other side. So there are times when you can be gone for just a short time, but there's other times you can be gone for a long time and then you come back to your body and you check the clock and it was only 10 minutes and it was like three hours of, you know, being hmm. out or something, that kind of thing. Yes. So that sounds yeah, like time. differential hyperdimensional time streams. Absolutely. The physics um, is different at different times. So your durations are not constant because the physics is not constant. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Now, I almost died this time because I waited so long to 
I got the tug, you know, and I said, no, I ignored it until that like third time. And it's like, how much older were you on this earth excursion into let's say earth orbit compared to the, the six year old experience? Uh, that was, uh, I think I was around 12 and I get back to my body. Normally I just zip in and re-merge but this time I hit my body and it was like I hit a, a rock it was made out of marble or something I was just like, bang <laughs> mm. oh no yeah it was just so solid and intense and I'm like oh oh my god I can't I'm trying to get in and I was like, oh my god what did I do I waited too long now and the body is just like this really hard matter I, oh no I was freaking out because now I'm screwed. I, I can't, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be dead. My life's over. I, I feel like I have a life to live. So I just floated. I hovered above myself and calmed my mind and relaxed and slowed my vibe. That's really when I begin to learn how to slow my vibrations for different uses. You can speed up and slow down. Mm-hmm. So I slowed down just, you know, this quavering and, Nice and slow and easy. I got my hand in, sweet. Oh, my other hand, I got in. And now my, finally, I got all the way back inside and remerged and opened my eyes. I was like, don't ever do that again. And this is all instinctual. You're not aware there's an instruction manual somewhere. No instructional manual. I thought I was the only person on earth doing this for over 10 years until I came upon Robert Monroe's books in mm. 1977. Yeah, Journeys Out of the Body. I was like, oh, my God, yo, God. Yeah, I thought I was the only one. but um, The famous Monroe Institute in Virginia there. Yes. Now, when I was seven, that that's a pretty big milestone because the – Okay, if we're going to go year by year, we're not going to get through the evening. So we got to – roughly how many times did you try the out-of-body thing, and when did you figure out at what age that you could do it on – command ah uh, well i can't always do it on command I, i'm really not the boss your parents are the boss and the seventh my seventh birthday is important because that's when i saw the superman cartoon and that night i went out of body and assumed you can look like whatever you want you know a, a whirl or a wisp or a sphere or yourself, you can just look like yourself, but, you know, with a thought, I just, and I look like Superboy hmm. from the car. Yeah. What, what year Super- is this now? 1966 in uh, September, and it was a filmation cartoon, you know, Superman, and uh, in between, they had a Superboy and crypto cartoon, and that's who oh. I related to. Yeah, Superboy. And so I look like Superboy, and... And that's also when I started exploring not my town. Now I'm flying around the planet. For example, I went to the Taj Mahal. If I ever go there in person, I will have deja vu because I have been there in spirit. And it was just, you know, I was attracted to these energetic places on Earth, Taj Mahal, the pyramids, and so forth. So had you seen these in books or geographic or television? No, I, I didn't know. I was seven. I didn't know what the Taj Mahal was. Just 
but boy, what a beautiful, when you see it in spirit, it's like, oh my God, look at the energy pouring from this. It's just, well, it's a hyperdimensional amplifier. That's why it was built. But how did you know where you, it was like a beacon. I mean, you're, you're seven years old. You're about a year past, literally a year, September, September, by the way, 66 is the year that Star Trek debuted that, you know, September 8th, Mm -hmm. as we discussed last weekend. So you're a year into this. How many of these out-of-body things have you done in a year? That first year, I was out five times. Okay. Just whenever. And what, what, made, you, what made you realize you could do it on command? I go back to my other question. What made me realize? Well, uh, part of it was just wanting to so much because it's the most, you know, flying. Come on. I, I couldn't wait to go to bed at night. Hey, I want to go flying. <laughs> Did your parents notice a sudden behavioral change? Oh, not that I know of. I mean, I... He wants to go to bed? He wants to go to bed at 7 o'clock? Why did he want to go to bed? Is there something wrong with him, Dorothy? No, he just wants to go to bed. Yeah. Did you tell anybody? Did you tell your parents? Did you tell your kid, your siblings? I did, and um, I just got reactions that, you know, you're kind of crazy or you're you're messed up or something's wrong with you. I Nobody... You know, I wanted to run through the streets of Warsaw shouting, hey, everybody, guess what? You have a soul, and it's really awesome, and you can fly. And At oh six, you felt this needed to yes. be? Yes. Okay. Oh, the joyous feeling, just run through the streets. Everybody, look, check but it I, but, out. But, but I thought you thought everybody could do this. Well, every, you know, I've learned since, yeah, that everybody does this as a natural, I mean, even if you don't remember it when you wake up, your soul was Yeah, but I'm trying it. to put myself in your shoes at six. You just had this experience. What made you think that it was unique to you? Because you're looking around, you've got siblings, you go to school, at least you're about to start mm-hmm. school, you look at people on the street. Why did you think they didn't and you had to shout and run down the street and tell them? Because nobody knew what I was talking about when I would bring it up to somebody, they Okay, no so that, that was your feedback. They said, were you a middle child? Uh, I'm next to the last out of seven. Okay, that's a large family, boy. Yeah. My my parents had four. Seven, mm. boy, very tetrahedral, by the way. Mm. Um, so you realize from this feedback, they say, uh, John, what are you talking about? Yeah. You feel okay? Let me take her temperature. <laughs> go, we have to go lie down, lie down, you know. So you realize that this is now kind of unique to you at six, mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel? Uh, pretty isolated, uh, but um... isolated or special. I mean, if you, if you assume Superman's persona, you must have felt really special. Well, I started getting these. Emergency calls. I I call it a, like a beeper signal. I I go out of body. I mean, sometimes it's when I'm you know when I'm awake. Like let's say today, um, you know, I'll be at the computer. I'll get a notion or a ping from my parent to go get north south. I call it because you want to lie on a north south axis with the Earth. And wait, wait, wait. With the Earth rotational axis or the magnetic field axis. The magnetic field axis, your head 
or the north, or either way, you're head to the south or north, just as long as you're north south. So it doesn't have to be that precise, okay? Um, yeah, you can be switch like your head's north. Your face, that doesn't matter which way you're facing north, just as long as you're aligned. And um, hmm. yeah, because if you're east west, it's not going to happen. You're out of alignment. So, but I started getting these pings, these emergency signals. Uh, very dire, someone's in danger, and I'm compelled to answer them. And this is this is between up. six and twelve. I'm seven years old. Yes, I started getting them when I was seven after I put on the cape and leotards. Oh, it sounds to know, me like I'm, you're almost designing your universe. It's happening because you think you're Superman. Well, I am. You know, on Saturday mornings, I'm watching the Superman cartoon and. Of course, I get – I mean, TV has been a source for me for a lot of you – know, I'm watching Superman. He's flying out into space to smash these asteroids. I'm like, gosh, can I go out into space and move an asteroid? So things I saw on TV you know, affected what I was going to do or what I was doing. Yes, mm. they played a part in it. So, um, yeah, I started getting these emergency beacons, and I uh, I have to – I don't think I could say, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm compelled. And I I shoot off to wherever it is, and there's somebody in trouble, and I do my best to help them or save them or whatever How it is do you, to do. as a disembodied, different frequency entity, mm-hmm. how do you help people on, on the 3D physical plane? Well, um, there was a story I shared on – my appearance from last March, actually, uh, this happened in 2013 in August. Um, I go to bed. I, I most nights I lie north south. Some if I don't feel like you know, I, I lie east west, but you know I lie down. Oh, if you south. don't want to answer the beeper, you lie east west. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. So I lie down. I. I'm out of, you know, these days I don't have to go be dead or go through. It's it's pretty quick. So I, I'm out. The beeper's there. I switch into Superman mode. I take off flying. I'm there. I'm floating 20, 25 feet maybe above the, the street somewhere. I don't know where I am. And I'm looking at a building. It kind of reminds me of my house a little bit. It's, you know, a small – and I see the tail end of a huge snake sticking out of uh, – you know, I can't tell if it's a, a vent or a window. It's a square opening, and this back end – the snake has crawled into this air duct is what it turned out to be. And beyond the snake in another room, I can sense the presence of two children, young children, and the snake has smelled them. The snake is radiating this need, you know, it's like survival. I mean, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's hungry. It's hungry. Okay. It's hungry. What kind of snake was it? We're not talking a garden or a garter snake here. We're talking what? Maybe an escape boa? Um, yeah, the snake is a, um, 
I can't even think of the name of it. It's a you know, 20 feet long snake. That's an anaconda. It's an anaconda. Thank oh, my you. God. And where is this? On the planet? It's on the planet. It was actually, it turns out, it was in, uh, it's in New Brunswick, Canada. What? Yep. Just up the... Just up the coast from here in Massachusetts. I hate to say, no. but anacondas are not native to New Brunswick. Yeah, it was a, a pet, exotic pet store, and the snake had gotten out of the cage oh. and balanced on its like tail somehow and coiled up to the ceiling and got in to get into the vents. Yeah, it broke the vent, like, and then crawled in. And, so I the mean, proprietor it, lived upstairs, or some other family lived upstairs over this pet store, right? There's an apartment on the other side of the pet store in this And building. two little kids, two little girls, I think you said? Uh, it was two boys, two boys, and they were visiting. I, if I recall, they were visiting a friend that lived in this apartment next to the pet store. And so I'm obviously I'm here to save the boys, I think. And so I grab the back end of the snake. You know, and my my capes there fluttering kind of. I'm you know. This is in your energetic, non-corporeal, vibratory form. Yeah, I look like a Superman. You know, I'm pretty big dude. <laughs> you know, not my little skinny. You self, understand, but... John? People listening to this think we're totally stark raving mad for even talking oh, about this. Of course, of course. So I grab onto the snake. I'm gonna yank it out and. I don't know what I'm going to do. Put it back in the cage. Or wait, 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 wait. You can you can physically move in your incorporeal form. You can move a 3D matter living being, an anaconda. Yes, like you saw in the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze. How? You know, they, How? Well, you learn. You know, they're kicking the can around, but you can learn to well by slowing your energies enough to so that you can grab onto this physical thing, onto the matter, and. You can get to where you can move pretty heavy objects. Um, hmm. I recently saved a, a plane coming into the airport uh, just near my home. Uh, so I'm pulling on this snake, and instead of me ripping it out Superman style, the thing is not budging. And I, so I pull a little harder, a little harder, and I realize something is wrong because – it should have come out. The force I was using should have been sufficient. Mm-hmm. And something is holding it in place. Something supernatural. Something beyond. It's not the snake. There's some third party. There's something holding it. Now I'm, and I don't understand what's happening. In the spirit world, your emotions are raw and super powerful. Like, you really have to learn to control them in the spirit world because they are so powerful. And if you so was this careful, a malevolent? I mean, we got three minutes to the top of the hour. Was this a malevolent entity that basically no. wanted the snake to eat the eat the boys? Oh, God, no. Oh no, no. So I give it, Richard. I gave it my most powerful uh, enough force to demolish that building to rubble. Right. I'm screaming. I'm pulling on the snake. Oh, I don't know what's happening. I'm freaking out. So I call out to my spirit guide. Please come help me. 
says, you have to go now. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm you have to go now. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. I will go. Before you affected the rescue. Yes. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got to go. I, I said, okay, I will go. Whatever it is you want me to do, I will go. I mean, meaning I have to go. I have to go back to my physical body is what it's saying to me. Oh, okay. I said, fine, but I'm going to go out again, and I will come back to this moment in time because you can travel through time. I go, I'm coming right back here, and I'm going to save these kids. Okay, hold on. We're at the top of the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Jonathan Womack, who, as you can tell, has some pretty, pretty... Astonishing stories, stories that you would just say, come on, he's a sci-fi writer. He has a great imagination. Well, you know, keep listening. Things are going to get even stranger. On the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>